Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining me today. And thank you, Beth Ann, for inviting me to be part of this incredible series. My name is Lynx O'Leary. I am so excited to be here and to be sharing the story of one of my favorite rock and roll musicians turned composer. I'm talking about Nancy Wilson. This is Cinematic Symphony. Nancy was born March 16, 1954. She is four years younger than her older sister and musical partner, Anne. They were born in California, but raised in Washington. Like many others their age, Nancy and Anne remember their first calling toward music being after they witnessed the Beatles play Ed Sullivan. That was 1964, and the pair actually went to see them in concert in 1966. Seeing live music really got to them. And around that time, Nancy got a hold of a guitar and she began playing and picking and finding her sound. She was also influenced by hard rock, classical and hard rock. And the sisters began playing together in the late 60s, but at the time they were less hard rock and more folk. It wasn't until college after Anne answered an ad for a band looking for a singer, that heart was formed. At the time, Nancy was playing solo shows. She was in college. But when Anne relocated with Hart to Vancouver, she convinced Nancy to take the leap. You gotta come. You gotta join this band. Not surprising here at all, but some of the men in the band weren't too keen on having a female guitarist join. But once you hear Nancy, her skills are absolutely undeniable. She's an incredible guitarist. Magic Man was their first single before their album Dreamboat Annie came. Since that first album, they have released 16 in total. 10 of those were from 1975 to 1990. They were a hard working band. They were touring nonstop. They were putting out all this incredible music. They were just at the top of their game. They are also inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That was in 2013. And over the span of their career have sold over 35 million records. Of course, anytime you look at a greatest musicians of all time, greatest guitarist of all time, you are gonna find Nancy on that list. So while Nancy has heart, she also in 1981 met her partner, Cameron Crow. They ended up marrying in July of 1986. Cameron would have a huge impact on Nancy's life, not just personally, but career-wise. Cameron's a filmmaker, and her first collaboration with him was on his 1989 film, Say Anything. She wrote an original song for it called All for Love, and she also recorded some guitar recordings for the film. She released All for Love as a solo artist. There's a music video for it. It was a big hit for Say Anything. When Cameron was working on his 1996 film, Jerry Maguire, 
Nancy took a bigger role and produced the film's theme. Then came both of their, I would say, most personal film, Almost Famous. Nancy once again composed this theme for the film and the songs for the fake band, Stillwater. But she also took a bigger role in the film as a technical consultant, teaching the actors how to act and play more naturally on stage to give it a stronger, authentic feel. Crow's next two films were Vanilla Sky, 2001, and Elizabethtown in 2005. Nancy once again provided the score for both films, and she's just... She's killing it. She's at the top of her game at this point. They're beautiful, beautiful soundtracks. Unfortunately, in 2010, Cameron and Nancy ended their marriage and their working partnership, but not before they had two twin sons, both of whom are following in their parents' footsteps now. They both work in film and music. After they split, Nancy went back to performing nonstop with Heart. They've been touring all over, all these decades. These women just don't stop. And in 2021, she actually released her first ever solo album. That one was called You and Me. Hopefully we see Nancy work in film again. I hope it wasn't just the partnership of the marriage and the connection there that had her there because she's just an incredible talent, whether it's in the studio or live. She's incredible. Well, that's it for my overview on Nancy. Up next, we're going to do the round table. Can't wait to talk to Beth Ann. I'm Klein Felt. I'm David Thompson. I'm Jack Pews. I'm Thomas Carter Rochester. And this is Reckless Rebellion. The podcast with enough chaotic energy to fuel a Death Star. All about the wars in the stars. Join us weekly as we dive into all corners of galactic news in the Rebel Report, review upcoming episodes of Star Wars content, and host games such as drafts, brackets, rankings, the rating game, and many more. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Now this was podcasting. Yippee! I'm Ethan Simi. And I'm Ben Lahorn. And we are the hosts of 24 Minutes of A24, a podcast about the movie and television library of A24. This place rules. So come join us in the green room every single Friday as we review both past A24 projects and the latest talks of the A24 town. We've even heard of some people entering a state of euphoria while listening to us. So come on, come on with us as we talk about both the uncut gems and the A24 projects that are everything, everywhere, all at once. It's a guaranteed good time, even if we usually run longer than 24 minutes, which is basically every single time. We try our hardest to take some funny pages out of our podcasting book and A24 knowledge and live the high life here on the pod. So whether you're joining us in Midsommar or you've been listening to us all throughout your past lives, we can't wait for you to join us every week. Be sure to tune in every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else podcasts are, and even YouTube to join in on the A24 fun. 11 A24 project references, man. We did it. And I think this might be the first time the pod has ever been under 24 minutes. We did it, Ben. We did it. Wow. Hi, I'm Leah. 
Mia. And I'm Bethann. And we're She Will Rock You. She Will Rock You is a bi-weekly podcast about rock history. Each episode, we talk about an artist and their lives, but we do it a little differently. You see, we noticed there was a lack of ladies hosting music podcasts, so we wanted to fix it. And here we are, two badass millennial ladies talking about rock music our parents wouldn't let us listen to. As a bonus, you'll even get our beer recommendations at the end. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, don't don't do drugs! All right, well... Bethan, I'm so happy to be here talking to you about one of my favorite musicians ever, Nancy Wilson. She is incredible. What an amazing guitarist. Um, have you ever seen Heart Life? No. And they recently, I feel like, played in the area and I couldn't get around to it. But yeah, I concur. Like Nancy Wilson and just Heart in general is, I think, one of the most underrated bands that exist which is ironic because she covers almost famous which i feel like i feel like there's some similarities there from what they had to experience yeah so absolutely and of course a lot of that surely has to do with the fact that they are two women who are kicking ass in rock and roll and who heard such a thing exactly yeah (laughs) that never happens no never yeah um i've loved them since I was a kid and um, I also love Cameron Crowe's films and all of her work as a composer in film is through his films because of course they are or were they're divorced now but they were a couple and I feel like that has such an influence on the pieces in the film as well like mm-hmm. having the connection and working together. I've actually checked out Cameron Crowe's. I haven't seen any of his films since him and Nancy split, but I just I love that answer too. It's like, oh, I'm done. If Nancy's done with you, I'm done with you. Right. Just for the sake of this, I listened to a, a bit of the scores for his latest two movies just to see the difference. And yeah, it's not the same. It's definitely like completely different, different vibe completely. I, I just, no, it, yeah. Nancy's, Nancy's where it's at. Absolutely. When Nancy first actually composed a song for Say Anything, because that's another Cameron Crowe film, but I don't think she was involved in the music production, just that one song, and she released it as a solo So that was like a little bit different. But Mm -hmm. the first film that she actually worked on the score for was Jerry Maguire. She did the theme song for that. It's called We Meet Again. Which I had no clue. And I feel like that movie is so ingrained in culture. Yeah. That like, it's like the, uh, for some reason for for, uh, Top Gun, we know Steve Stevens did it and it's like well why aren't we talking about nancy wilson doing jerry Maguire? unless it could just be me yeah no i think that's not really i don't even know if many people really realize how influential nancy has been in cameron crowe's work um and the connection through all of it because jerry Maguire, yeah that's the first one where it's like her working with him and the song is like 
it sets the tone for I feel like all of her other uh, pieces of work in film because Hearts like real rock and roll they're really ballady mm-hmm. but here we get to hear Nancy I think it's a very classic Nancy style it's like that light acoustic guitar yeah. like the picking the plucking of the very like romantic and has like, like a folk bluegrass yeah. tinge to it yeah yeah she's a really great guitar picker and she really loves acoustic and that again throughout all the other films is really her signature style in them yeah um i rewatched vanilla sky recently and yeah it's the same it was it's interesting i like the way that film works because if, if anyone hasn't seen it it's sort of like a reality based and then goes into like a fantasy thing and gets a little crazy like over time and in that film as it progresses it really shifts the music from that lovely acoustic light picking like mm-hmm. airy fun to this more like eth- like uh, ethereal sound more hmm. um like digital based i would say yeah not, like not solely guitar and that's a sound that I, I can't recall ever hearing from Nancy or Hart or anything so that's uh, that was interesting because I didn't yeah. remember that part I feel like for her songwriting style when it comes to cinema y- you're right in that she's doing more of that picking that light airy sound and I like that I love how she blends like when electric does come in and how it comes in. It's usually only for fragments of time. Yeah. And it just works so well. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because like in Almost Famous, you know, you have your, you know, Tiny Dancer, things like that. You have those popular bands. Um, but then you just have like these segments that just flow into it. So it, she knows how to balance absolutely really well, especially if like there's going to be other songs, you know, from rock or something influenced with it she knows how to add to it not detract from it and really fuse it together that's interesting too because i feel cameron crow because they're both so heavy into music mm-hmm. i have no doubt that when he's writing scripts he already has in his mind like oh i want this cl- classic rock song to be for this scene mm-hmm. so for sure nancy's got to be writing the score knowing the feel of the music for the rest of the film already and working around that like you said yeah yeah no it's definitely there's got to be especially because they were married which i didn't know that there's definitely got to be like some really good connection points like creatively yeah you know yeah and one thing that's really cool with almost famous she was the music supervisor for it like she helped train the actors on how to be a musician like oh cool the look the feel um she would work with them so that the live show aspect really felt authentic yeah and i read that's cool i read that she actually used her old 
road tapes from heart in the 70s as like an inspiration when she was writing the score she would like listen to them and like take her back to like that era and that sound and instead of using the latest digital technology for that film they used the old like analog mixing style just to make it all sound more authentic that's awesome and i mean like she is the perfect fit because she is that style. Like yeah. she, those are her peers that are featured in the film, like the music that's in there. And I love that she went back and just listened because that just, I think Almost Famous is one of the best films and it's one of the best films because of the music aspect and how they tie in with the story. And, you know, it, it's very good at being like a comedy and a drama and really getting a glimpse of the groupie, yeah. Um, bands escalating lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I think what makes that so special, too, is that it's Cameron Crowe's story. It's his based on his true life. But it's also her story. Like, that was her true life. She toured all through the 70s. She knows all that backstage stuff. She knows the band dynamics of the mm-hmm. highs and the lows. And I'm. I feel like because both of them had such a passionate connection to it, you really, like every aspect of that film is magic. Yeah. No, yeah. and it was like, didn't it win Best Picture too? And she won it. I feel like she won an Academy for it as well, an Oscar. I don't think she won, but I think she was nominated. Yeah. Let me see. Actually, um, I think a, like it may be almost, not almost, um, Vanilla Sky, I think she got nominated, maybe not for an Oscar, but for a couple awards for that as well. Gotcha. Yeah, it looks like it won Best Screenplay that year. Yeah, that the that. Oscars, and won a few other things. But yeah, no, it's 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 just such a stellar film, and I feel like, you know, I know like it's kind of preserved in film history, but I love like whenever I get to talk about that film and talk about the music of it. Because I, I just think I want that movie to live like a Top Gun, right? Yeah. Oh, thank you, Mia. Mia's decided <laughs> that it's her time to shine. She likes to interrupt um, the podcast I record. Seems, you know, I let her in every time. And I'm just like, all right, you got to be quiet and you got to sleep. And she does it. And then just one little There's thing always, happens. Yeah. I'm going to She's going to say hi. Yeah, that's what she does. But um, no, I, I want to see. I, I want it to be like a Top Gun. I want it to be more transcendental in culture like that's my movement because i think that movie is so great and i feel like it deserves more recognition than it gets because i think it's like it's like it's like in the vein of this is spinal tap but not like a mockumentary like it should be that hype level yeah for like the credit it gets for like nailing it right on the head i think people like us who are in love with music like we have such a huge connection to it and but it's it's such a human story too that mm-hmm. you don't have to be a music lover to to really appreciate it. Yeah, I an interesting thing about that film too, and sort of connects to Vanilla Sky as well. Nancy's writing. There's a character, Cameron Diaz character in Vanilla Sky. She's like a struggling musician, and she's not reached her full potential yet or maybe she doesn't have Mm -hmm. enough talent to 
And that's also an aspect of Stillwater. Like when, when she was writing those songs, it had to be a band that was like, they, they call them that in the movie, like a mid-level band. Like you haven't grown to reach your full potential. So you're writing these rock songs like with potential, but not where it's like, this is obviously a, should be a mega hit. Mm-hmm. And I find that really interesting, like trying to write a song that's good, but not the best or. Yeah. Yeah. That's did you know? Did you know that Peter Frampton and Mike McCready from Pearl Jam, they also, it was them two and Nancy that did like the Stillwater tracks. I didn't know that, but I also love that combination. Like that's a really, because I think each of those musicians bring something different. Yeah. So I love that that happened. I know it's very, it's like bringing the, the new, the contemporary and the classic together, right? Yeah. Frampton's no, the classic. McCready's the contemporary. Like mm-hmm. very, very smart. And I think they also helped the actors to like learn how to loosen up and become a band. Right. Yeah, because I'll tell you, like, having watched many of films on music, we can I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me and my self-righteousness, but I watch when they're playing and I'm like, are they actually playing? Oh, or yeah. are they just doing such a good fake? But there are times where I can tell you're doing neither of those two things. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? I can respect the first two, whether you're faking it really good yeah. or you're um, actually playing it. But when I see someone like not doing either of those, it's it's it one of It takes you completely out of it. It does. Like there's nothing worse than you're hearing this like solo on a piano and it's just you see the person doing this. Yeah. Like just just one, three, five, just smacking the keys like no, no interaction whatsoever. I know. I saw Dennis Wilson play once and he was not playing. And <gasps> he was not playing. Oh, yeah. Th- that hurts my soul. Yeah. Like, I'm like, just give up touring, man. Like, If you're not going to play, like yeah. if you're going to just fake it. No. Just just move on. Mm hmm. Yeah. Do you remember the piece in the film? I think it's called Lucky Trumbull. And it's played throughout. It's another one of her classic style of like picking, picking the notes. And it's played throughout usually when uh, in scenes with William and Penny. And it's, I feel like it's one of the most perfectly placed songs and created songs i feel like it's like you're seeing penny through the eyes of william like through a mm-hmm. song it's like think, the light ethereal one you're talking about because it's like dun, 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 dun. it's kind of like dun, dun, dun. yeah yes yes yeah yeah that one i remember hearing that but it, it is interesting how music can do that as you're like kind of talking i can kind of see where yeah. that came in uh, yeah, it's so interesting whenever musicians can like perfect perfectly align emotions in film. Mm-hmm. I think that's like the power of like a really good composer. Yeah. Is you know, there's all different kinds of composers. Like we cover John Williams, who is like the signature like melody maker. You go to him if you yeah. want this memorable tune. You go to Ludwig Gorenson if you want to fuse like different sounds and elements. 
And then there's like whenever someone can like go into a film and you actually hear an emotion that the actor is trying to portray. Yeah. I think that's a really special trait that I like musicians can do it. But when you do it right with film, it's it's really powerful. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's like the most perfect piece. And you can like see it in the character's eyes when it's playing. It's mm -hmm. just one of those magic film moments. It's also just a great example of like early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, like movie music. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like it started right around this time, like this style of sound, like I can't describe it. But when you hear that song, you're like, I have seen films adapt to this. Yes. Yeah, you know, for you know sure. I mean? Yeah. Um, I wrote down a quote from Nancy I was reading. Um, and she talks about the major differences between scoring a film and writing a song for your band. She said, you have to know in film when to shut up and let the scene dictate the mood for the piece that you want to play. Mm. And I feel like she's really good at that. She's really good at seeing the scene and understanding like her role in it and not to yeah. be like too overpowering not to like let the scene tell the story but let the music like elevate it elevate the emotion yeah no that's i think that's really important with filmmaking and you know i think you know all filmmakers uh rather composers have their own little signature and things like that but i i think that is something that she's always done well um even to some heart pieces i'm thinking about and like matching it with ann's vocals mm -hmm. um She's very good at translating just different emotions through the guitar. Yeah. She's very good at it. I, I, I can't put other words than that to it. I know. After Almost Famous, she did Elizabeth Town, and that's the last one that she did with Cameron. Though I looked her up, and she has done like one more short film since then, but I haven't seen mm. it. So hopefully she'll do more composing and film I in the future. So. Yeah, I really do because especially because heart is not going to be touring as much. Yeah, it kind of would be the perfect time exactly. because I think she was on a really during those 2000s, like really on a roll with, you know, getting some really good mainstream films. Yeah. You, you know, I would love to see more of Nancy Wilson personally. I know me too. Yeah. So Elizabeth Town. I was actually listening to the score today just to refresh myself with it. And I do feel like she was really at her strongest by that point. Like Almost Famous, of course, is perfect. But now she's just like on a roll. Yeah, it's the, it's the one under the belt. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not a huge fan of that film, but the score is just so beautiful. And like she said, she really does let the scene and film dictate what she brought to it. Plot-wise, that film is very much, again, at the heart of, like, the 2000s manic pixie dream girl era. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like her pieces, like, really pick up that vibe. It's like, the light, whimsical, airy guitar flowing with Kristen, Kirsten Dunst. But the other character, Orlando Bloom's character, he's kind of going through a life crisis, and there are these deeper like reflective tones in the music that she plays for his personal scenes. 
Mm. And it's just so beautifully done, like the mixture of it while still flowing together perfectly. Yeah. And that's another interesting film like Almost Famous where it's not about making music, but the characters, they connect through music and they connect long yeah. distancely. Like Kirsten Dunn's character makes Bloom the most like epic mix tape for this like road trip that he's taking. And it's through the music and the emotions of the music that he kind of falls in love with her and with like life again. And I feel like the power of music is like always a really strong theme with yeah. Crow and the the work that he's done with Nancy. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's partly why, you know, I would love to see her to get back in filmmaking, but maybe it was just one of those things. They had such a good power duo. Yeah. Working relationship. Um, because you are right. Like thinking about, so, like I was telling you before, I know a lot about Almost Famous. I don't know much about Vanilla Sky, and I know a little bit about Elizabeth Town. Yeah. But knowing that music has a lot of central themes and all the work he does, and then Nancy actually being a musician. Yeah. It, it's a really, yeah. I wish we need another. If they're not going to take up the mantle, I need like another couple to step up to the plate. Yeah. Like, let's get, I don't know. Katy Perry. No, don't get Katy Perry. No, Forget no, I ever said her. that. Um, <laughs> get someone. I need someone who's a director and someone who's a musician. I need you all to get with it, Hollywood. Because I want Trent Reznor is a great example. Excellent example. Yeah, they do bring an element that more classically trained composers don't necessarily bring. They're great in their own way, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, you can you can hear the difference and it's it must be really fascinating to like have to like rework how your brain thinks on on how to write a song like nancy was saying like that it is majorly different than going into it with your band you know right that's a good point i never thought about it that way like a musician's approach to composing is going to be very different than how you know juilliard trained composers are going to approach it yeah there's different priorities there's different you know methods to get there but yeah Trent Reznor is an excellent example because he did win for social network yeah and that is I love that soundtrack so much and he does pull his own influences from Nine Inch Nails Mm -hmm. and he works with a collaborator for it who's worked with him in Nine Inch Nails I can't think of his name right now but yeah like perfect example like the only person I think who could do that is like Ludwig Göransson, mm. but outside of that, no one else could do what Trent did on that soundtrack. No. It was so perfect for a digital age. Yeah, and Eddie Vedder was really great in um, Into the Is it Into the Wild? Into the Wild, yeah, that's right. I forgot he did that. Yeah, that's a beautiful score as well. But mm. I don't know if he's done anything other than that. I don't think so. Really, but Trent Reznor is the forerunner yeah. right now for a musician who's gone composer. Absolutely. Yeah, he's killing it. So yeah, I have a podcast called Muses. It's all about women in music, groupies, wives, girlfriends, musicians, photographers, just all the behind the scenes or on stage. We cover everything. We actually have a whole episode about the history of heart. We go in depth there. So That's right. Yeah, if anyone wants to learn about 
Nancy, more more about Nancy and about her sister Anne. Um, I would highly recommend checking out that episode. I also love Muses because you guys interviewed uh, Mick Fleetwood's Patty. Oh God, it's stupid. I can't. Jenny Boyd. Jenny Boyd. Patty Boyd yeah. was her sister. Jenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another that sister was, duo. Another sister. That one was. I remember that interview. That was a fun, fun interview. Yeah, yeah. I should have said we also do interviews or we present episodes to each other. Me and my co-host Shanti. Um, so there's yeah a whole bunch of things in there, and we've done a couple crossovers together as well. We have. They and are our original podcast sisters. Yeah, like we were the first ones to start collaborating on things, um, and so you know, muses will always have a piece of my heart because you guys were there from the beginning, and yeah. we love you guys so much over there. Um, but yes, muses is awesome. Go check it out, and then you also can check out after you listen to them. She will rock you. That's my original podcast, baby, um, mm-hmm. that I co-host slash co-parent with Leah Jones. Um, we also have had a heart episode. So if you're feeling like you want to do, you know, double heart, a heart to heart, if you will, <laughs> um, <laughs> go listen to Muse's episode, go listen to our episode on it, um, where I basically just rage at why um, misogyny exists in music and I don't oh. get it. Yeah. But besides that, um, you can find She Will Rock You at She Will Rock the Letter You Pod on Twitter, She Will Rock You Podcast on Instagram. Um, and you also can find me, Bethy and Tarpley. I'm on both Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, you can follow me there. Cinematic Symphony is a collaborative podcast between friends and fans of the movie and music world. Thanks to Lynx O'Leary for covering this episode on Nancy Wilson podcast intro music and the nancy wilson theme you are hearing right now was composed by me beth ann tarpley you can find cinematic symphony on wherever you get your podcasts including apple podcasts spotify and good pods you can also follow us on twitter at cinematic s y m pod we'll see you next time